So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. The mistake we made is we thought showing the product was the wow moment. If you show it without a story to tell, the narrative, it doesn't connect for the audience. And so very early on, we would show, I'd say, a grab bag. I think our audience probably thought it was just a bunch of random screens. And we thought, hey, they look great. We've put all this effort. We've got, and we have incredible designers here. And we've put a lot of effort in. And it looks really cool. And it wasn't landing. We had to go back to the drawing board, not so much with the product itself or the feature set or the product roadmap, but what is the story we're telling when we show the product? I'm Sahil Patel. I'm the CEO at Spiralize. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mark. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it. It's not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Sahil Patel joined the rocket ship of Predictive CRO, so you can get bigger and faster conversion wins. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. 
Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Sahil Patel has lived in Atlanta for 12 years now, but has made a lifetime of leaving Atlanta and then coming back. He attended undergrad in ATL and in 2011 started a company called ER Express, which centered around patient scheduling. After building the company, he sold it for a successful outcome for him, for his team, and for the buyer. Outside of tech, he's married with two daughters and loves to play music and play soccer. He plays guitar in a Rush cover band, the Atlanta Rush Hour, and used to play soccer competitively. In the past, Sahil was a client of his current venture. In leading ER Express, he saw great value in a tool to predict conversion. He liked it so much that after he sold his company and moved on, he wanted to join the team and take it to the next level. This is the creation story of Spiralize. Spiralize is a conversion rate optimization company. There are 34,000 websites that run A-B tests somewhere on their website. And what we do is we scrape all of those tests. We find patterns in what winning tests are, and then we run those winning tests, we call those proven winners, for our clients. So we're a hybrid business. We have technology, a SaaS product that finds and predicts the winning tests. And then we also have a service component. So we will actually build and run the tests for our clients business has been around since about 2015. And I was actually an early client when I was running my last business, ER Express. The founder, and we actually know each other because our older daughters went to school together a long time ago. I thought what Spiral was doing was really cool. And he thought that ER Express could benefit from it. So I was an early customer and it opened my eyes to this thing I'd never heard of, conversion rate optimization and A-B testing, which is like running a clinical trial for your website. As people come in, they randomly get one experience or another experience, and then you measure which one got more people to convert. Whatever conversion, for some people that conversion might be putting a pair of shoes in the shopping cart. For other companies, it's clicking on and filling out that start your free trial now. And if you are a sales-led motion B2B SaaS, your most valuable conversion is that request demo talk to sales form that you fill in. So tell me about what was the the MVP of when you joined. So when you joined Spiralize, what was the, you know, the the product like? What were you taking on and what was your first version? So I joined 2 years ago. And at the time, kind of the seed was there for this prediction engine, which is our secret sauce. If the company's doing any kind of A/B testing or conversion rate optimization. They're doing what I like to call good ideas. A group of people sit in a conference room or get on a Zoom call. They go, what should we test next? Let's make the buttons orange. I heard that if you make the buttons orange, more people will click. Or I, I saw our competitor put the CEO's dog on the homepage. We should do that. Our CEO said we should copy them because they seem to be doing well. Testing is a cruel game. The industry average is that only 11% of tests beat the control. This is a really disheartening statistic, 11%, because it turns out beating the control first was really difficult. 
Second of all, what happens is you run some tests. Everyone's really excited about A-B testing at most companies. They get really excited and they pick the low-hanging fruit and they get a huge lift. Because if you've never done any kind of A-B testing, the first few tests you run, I would say it's, it is similar to someone who is trying to get in shape after being out of shape. If you've been doing nothing and you just you get some steps in every day, you cut some carbs and sugar out of your diet, kind of the, those first 10 pounds, like it happens and you go, oh man, I'm going to do this. I can see how I'm going to be in great shape. But after you do that, it gets a lot harder to, to maintain that and take it to the next level. If you're running a, a 15 minute mile, you do some cardio, you can get down to probably a, an 11 or 10 minute mile with some practice. But getting it down to say a seven minute mile, really hard, it takes a lot of repetition, a lot of commitment and dedication. Same thing happens in A-B testing. If your site is completely unoptimized and you do a little bit of optimization, you run some tests, you pick the lowing fruit, you get this big lift, everyone's really excited. You say, let's keep doing this. There's a huge ROI on this. And it gets a lot harder. And you find out that, that statistic, the industry average, only 11% of tests beat the control, turns out to be true for you. And the enthusiasm very quickly declines. Your senior exec, she or he says, hey, what, what's the latest on the A-B testing program? Everyone very quietly goes, oh, yeah, we're still, still doing it, still working on it. And, and A-B testing is also, it's expensive in terms of the effort, right? You have to design the page. Uh, this isn't the kind of thing that the layperson can just sketch a few ideas on, on a napkin. Then you have to actually build the page. Some software developers are going to be required to, to build the page. Now, there are some really great tools out there that have made it a lot easier to set up the tests, split the traffic. They've automated a lot of it, do the measurement. You still have to come up with the idea. You have to design it. You have to build it. You then get to that point where you're sitting in a room saying, what should we test next? One, you run out of good ideas to test pretty soon. And B, even when you do good ideas, they're just not likely to beat your control. The secret sauce that Spiralize has is let's crowdsource the good ideas. Because surely the, there's more good ideas out there than there are just in our four walls. So when I arrived at Spiralize, that kind of the seed of the idea was already there. I'm going to be real clear. I, I didn't come up with that idea. And, and the product was in its, I'd call it kind of rudimentary stages. We could see that the promise was there. And one of the first things we did was lay out a vision for, well, what could this be? Like many good products, it started as a bit of a skunk works idea to something that's a true kind of platform that can be used to find tests, to analyze what is the common pattern for thousands and thousands of tests once we gather them, and then predict which test is most likely to win depending on what kind of company you are, what vertical you're in. Are you running this test on a landing page, a home page? What kind of form do you have? What is the CTA? And so on. And it turns out there are some real answers there. Curious about decisions and trade-offs you had to make throughout this, you know, process of you joining in Spiralizing. It could be things like, you know, having to change approach or to, you know, cut features or to, you know, accept certain things. Tell me about some of the hard ones you had to work through and how you coped with those decisions. Anytime you're building a product, there's more good ideas 
then there is time to build them. And I'll give you an example. Probably one of the first things we had to decide was just we had this we have this gallery of test patterns. And now, by the way, today we have almost 500 unique test patterns. But rewind back several years ago, the number was much, much smaller. And there are an almost infinite way you can organize them. And we had to choose one. And this is a classic example where if you went out and asked your customers, if you asked 10 customers, they probably tell you 11 different ways it would be useful for them to organize this massive treasure trove. That's our secret sauce. And I think it's a great lesson in you have incomplete information. It's not practical to go survey all your customers. And even if you did, you're going to get so many different answers. Even if you picked one, you're just as likely to be wrong. So ultimately, we had to decide that first we would organize them by what's unique about this particular test. And I'll give you an example just to to make it concrete. One of the test patterns we found is that when you, for and, and in the B2B SaaS world, when you show a screenshot, you get a, generally a much higher conversion rate compared to what most B2B SaaS companies show, which is either nothing or they show like generic stock images of people sitting in a conference room. What are people buying in B2B when they buy B2B SaaS? They're buying the product. You know, they, it's that wow moment that they go, ooh, this looks cool. If I fill out this form, I'm going to get to see, touch, feel this product. Could be in a demo, could be in a free trial. And that became an organizing principle for our product. As you start with what is the common denominator of what makes this test a winning pattern that causes it to beat the control? That means we said no to a bunch of other really good ideas, which is organizing it, say, just by industry vertical, which is why most people want to, often our customers think, like, oh, show me all the, if you're a cybersecurity company, I want to see all the tests that have worked for cybersecurity companies. Or if you are a, let's say not industry vertical, if you are a company that offers a free trial, that's the what you're hoping people to do, hoping to get people to do when they come to your website. Just show me all the tests for any company that offers a free trial that won. And so we ruled out organizing it by industry vertical. We ruled out organizing it by what some people would call the motion or the call to action. And instead, the organizing principle is what is the kind of the distinct element of the test? Is it showing the product? Is it showing, say, for example, social proof, which is like, here are the other companies that use this product, or here's our star rating on Captera or G2. But it gave us the discipline to focus on this one thing and gave us an organizing principle for the rest of our product. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. 
Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks Solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. This episode is sponsored by CashFly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where CashFly comes in. CashFly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, CashFly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only CashFly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. I'm curious about how the company and how you drive the product forward. So I'm curious about progression and maturation and changes. And to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how do you go about building your roadmap? How do you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Spiralize? I'll tell you the way we do it here with a caveat that it's not prescriptive. And I've certainly done it different ways. I've seen it done different ways and I've done it myself different ways at my other places in my career. We actually start with what creates excitement in the sales pitch. And we think that's a great indicator of what will cause our customers to buy, which is a great signal of we're generating we're creating value for them. And I'll contrast that with a more mature company. There's a number of great companies out there that can get in-app feedback and your users can even submit their own ideas and people can vote on them and you're effectively crowdsourcing your roadmap. Uh, I, I've, I've, my last company, we got there, but I think it's really important to first gauge where are you in your product journey? And when you're early in your product journey, I think the value that the CEO, that the product leader brings, there's a level of, I think, taste and intuition, which by the way, are not based on just feeling, but based on experience. You have to be willing to draw a line in the sand and and make a decision. And so the data that we use for that is, even when the product was, I would say, in in its early stages, we show it in the sales pitch and see where it created excitement for prospects and did it help drive the sale forward. The nice thing is you get a big sample size very quickly. If you show it to 20 pitches and inside of a week, you can get an end of 20 reaction to something. That could be, you could be showing something out of your staging environment. It doesn't have to be in production. So in the very early days when I got here, that was the way we guided our roadmap. Because we had an absence of, you don't have a large user base yet. You need the leading signals of where to go. And I would say, and and I'll back up a step, a a, a tactic I would recommend that we got a lot of value from is we used Winter. If if your audience is not familiar with Winter, W-Y-N-T-E-R, fantastic company. 
you can say, I want to talk to 20 digital VPs at companies of this size. They will go out and find those people, vet them for you, then schedule sessions where you can basically do a practice pitch or a practice show your product or a practice demo, and they'll give you unvarnished feedback. That kind of feedback is, in the early days, the most valuable currency because it's deep, it's specific, and it's coming with from the people that you want rather than the people just by chance you get to talk to. And so we use that even before, so I'm going a little bit out of order, even before we started putting V1.0 or 1.1 in front of prospective customers, we used Winter to get it in front of a sample of prospective customers. Our roadmap was measured in weeks, not in months or quarters. So we're going for really short sprints, multiple releases, sometimes multiple releases a week, which forces to not have scope creep if you've got one or two releases a week because you're doing little kind of small things very quickly, getting feedback. So that's how we got our MVP to the market. So I hear you saying we. Tell me about how you go about building your team and... You know, what do you look for in these people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? Yeah, how do you pick the winning team? First, let me say, I've not totally cracked the nut on that. So I think there's a couple things. Again, I'm going to I'm going to draw a circle around this for say this is my experiences is relevant for early stage or early stage product, small maybe medium-ish sized type of companies. To me, I think the first thing is I'm looking for people that are hands-on. If you're gonna be the product leader at a small company, early stage, you will not have the luxury of having a scrum master and you won't have a huge QA team and you won't have a huge designer team. And you're not gonna have, you're not gonna delegate people to write user stories. I think you have to, and, and by the way, I think it, if you've done big company and you have those things, but those are amazing resources to have. And I've been places that have that. I think you just very quickly, you get used to it and it's hard to go back to the days where you've got just a few people and the, your, your product leader is very actively involved in writing user stories. And by the way, when I got here, I mean, I was personally wireframing early versions of the product. And I think that's really important that at the, at a senior level, not only are you willing to do it, and I think you have to make sure that you have that skill set. If you're going to take that job at that stage of company, that you know how to do it. More than any specific technical skill, I think it's more of a mindset of doing that. You can ask for it, but I think the best thing is just to is to make sure people have evidence that they've actually done it. It's not a hard thing to ask for. Most smart or high EQ people will self-select in or out if they know this is the kind of what their day-to-day is going to be like. Because I think if you've been someone that gotten used to a bigger team, then you probably won't enjoy it. Now, I'll tell you, my last company, the reason the person who I hired as my product leader came, he had been at, he had done two big companies, is he missed being a player coach. He missed having hands on keyboard and he wanted to get back to it. So he was making a very conscious decision to do it, but that has to be a very conscious decision. Second is just like extreme impatience. 
part of my job as CM, right? I'm not a technical CEO. I'm not an engineer. I'm, I'm not a developer. One of the things that I think I see as part of my job is to set the pace and set the tone and to find the sweet spot. You don't want to burn your people out. I think part of it is to know when it's time to be a little unreasonable with the pace and push the team. That's more art than science, for sure. And so what that means pragmatically is we're measuring progress sometimes in hours, definitely in days. The I think early on, your biggest competition is not other companies, it's time. And time is a fierce competitor. There's no replacing it. Make decisions quickly, have small sprints, have rapid release cycle. And you, when you make a decision, the answer is not, we'll get back to you next week. That's just not acceptable as an answer. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the analytics club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Okay, let's flip to scalability, and this will be interesting. Given you, you stepped into a company that existed, how how was this built to scale as far as technology and as far as organization? Was it built to scale efficiently from the early days, or is there anywhere where you've had to fight it as you grow? I'll give you two areas where I've spent a lot of time on this, both from a product release cycle and then I would say on my sales team, just with sales execution is having repeatable processes. At the beginning of the month, you say, here's what we're going to do. And you know that you're gonna be wrong <laughs> on a lot of things because 
there's just so many variables and so many unknowns, especially in the early days of, of the company. But at the end of the month, you can say, hey, we said we would do three releases. We did three releases. Now, did the scope of those releases change? For sure. Did some features come in and out? Yes. Did we discover bugs? Of course, you should be doing those things. And that you can reliably do that and repeat that week over week, month over month. And you break that down into small pieces. Same thing on the sales team. Can we generate 20 new leads every week? Can we get 10 sales qualified meetings every week? Can we close five new customers every month? Rather than, well, we closed seven last month, closed one this month. Technically we hit our target because we got eight over two months, we're averaging four a month, but that's not a repeatable process because you just really never know. Is this gonna be the month with one new customer? Is this the month with seven new customers? I think same thing on the dev side. Is this the month where we deliver three releases? Is this the month where we deliver one release? Now, I'm leaving out a bunch of nuance there, right? There's lots of good reasons where sometimes you need a bigger release and you need more time to work on it. But you look at it, let's say, in the long run, by long run, I hear like a quarter, <laughs> not any longer than that. You should have this predictable cycle because when you do, that means you have the discipline to execute. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built at Spiralize, what are you most proud of? First, that there is a, when we show the product to our prospective customers, there's a big wow factor. Like visually, it's striking. They instantly get the value and they're really excited about it. And one indicator is we consistently have customers ask, can they buy just the product without the service? Now, our business model is not, that's not our business model. I, I've been in pure SaaS company, so I, I get why they would ask it. But it tells me that they're really excited about what they see. That's one. Two, the context here is that when our customers, when our prospective customers do a meeting with us, a first meeting, we show them the product within the first five to six minutes of the meeting. And I think that's part of creating a really delightful experience. Because I think so many companies, and this is what I've experienced, and I, I know our prospects tell us when they go, oh yeah, we this happens to us all the time, they, they take a demo. And they take the demo, by the way, for two reasons. And I think there's really only two reasons people take demos. They want to see the product. By the way, I'm talking in the world of B2B SaaS here. <clears throat> they want to see the product and they want to know the price. And what are the two things that a lot of first pitches don't deliver? The product and the price. It's more about what the company that's selling wants than what your prospective customer wants. What do they want? If you just show people a bunch of stuff without taking the time to understand their needs, that's not the, a recipe for success, by all means. Then instantly, if they tell you one or two things and say, hey, I'm gonna show you some things I think you'll like, show it to them, get this wow moment. If you don't get the wow moment, be willing to accept, hey, maybe this isn't what you're looking for or I'm showing you the wrong thing. Tell me more. And, and I think most people are happy to tell you, yeah, this isn't what I was looking for. I don't, I don't know, I don't know that this meets my needs. Okay, let, tell, tell me more and then show them something. And I think that's the combination of we want to give our customers what they want, not what we want. When, when we do give it to them, we're going to show something amazing. 
That's something amazing. Me and my sales team, we have the easy part. <laughs> Getting showed up. All the hard work comes from our incredible designers and developers and QA who build the product. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We show the product and the mistake we made is we thought showing the product was the wow moment. If you show it without a story to tell, the narrative, it doesn't connect for the audience. And so very early on, just to you know, paint the picture, we would show I'd say a grab bag of the product almost. I think our audience probably thought it was just a bunch of random screens. We thought, hey, they look great. We've put all this effort. We've got, and we have incredible designers here. And we've put a lot of effort in and it looks really cool. And it wasn't landing. It was just all over the place. We had to go back to the drawing board, not so much with the product itself or the feature set or the product roadmap, but what is the story we're telling when we show the product? You can take the same product with the story and without the story, and you'll get a totally different reaction and a totally different value that your customers perceive from the product. What does the future look like for Spiralize the product and for your team? Today, we have more than 500 identifiable test patterns that we have discovered. Some from what our clients do, many more from scraping the internet, effectively crowdsourcing winning A-B tests. And so every week, we're adding more data to the patterns we have, and we're also adding new patterns. What that means is as we get more data, we make better predictions. As we make better predictions, our customers, our clients get more conversion lift. And so there's this virtuous cycle where every week gets a little bit better. And I think our clients, it's just happening behind the scenes. We become more and more of a, the prediction engine is the central value of the company. And I think that's very unique compared to what most companies are doing, whether they're doing it in-house or they're a vendor or agency doing CRO. That's our near-term execution that I'm very excited about. And I think it brings measurable value to our customers. From a long-term vision, I think the thing that has a ton of upside is that the process from here is a test that performs really well for companies in this vertical with this CTA on a paid landing page. I'll just give you an example of a scenario. And you decide on that. And then the process of let's design it, let's do the copywriting, let's make sure it's grounded in research on this particular company's vertical and who their ICP is. Then we're going to build it, and then we're going to, you got to QA, and then you run the test. There's enormous upside for automating that. And I think we've but scratched the surface there, because what that does, it allows us to greatly reduce the cost of testing. Because what we've done with our prediction engine is we've greatly lowered the cost of discovery, because we're spreading that cost across a large network. So there's this network effect spreading this cost of discovery out. And I think the next, and that's greatly reduced that cost. I think the next thing is, can we reduce the cost to actually deliver and run those tests? Okay, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I, I think the first are my mom and dad. 
They were a classic immigrant story. They came here. My dad came here in 1966 to go to school. He went to Rensselaer RPI. It's a small engineering college in upstate New York. And so many of the things I've gotten to do, I've lived an incredible life and had incredible opportunities are really thanks to my parents. And you think about what it takes to pick up go to another country, learn a new culture. They've, they learned English growing up, but speaking English in another country and coming to America to speak English is a whole different story. And they both did this and it's an amazing journey and they did it for their families. That has nothing to do with, in some ways it has nothing to do and I think everything to do with being an entrepreneur. I think being an immigrant is actually being the ultimate, it's the ultimate entrepreneurial journey is picking up and going somewhere else against, against all kinds of odds. Last question. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. And can't we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person, having walked down this road a bit in Spiralize and before? If you have a spouse or partner or whenever you enter that relationship you should get counseling and ideally do it before you need it because every entrepreneur's journey is going to have more valleys than there are peaks you have to learn to live in the valleys and i think that's a a lesson i learned the hard way and i would say it definitely had a big impact on my marriage now i'm lucky first of all i have an amazing wife second of all she's a clinical psychologist (laughs) My training. And there was definitely a point in my last company, but by the way, it's, it's happened at times at Spiralize too, where I was living in the valleys. And there was a point where my wife just said, hey, you need to talk to someone. Like this, this isn't Valley Peak, you're just in the valley. And I was lucky that she did. And some of those things we did together. And that was really helpful. And I think for everyone, you've got to figure out what you do by yourself. Do you do it with your partner? I'd recommend both, by the way. But it would definitely do it. There's all kinds of... I think answers for how to up your technical skills, how to get coaching as a leader, how to work with your team. But I think if you don't work on you as a person and you don't work on what's happening at, at home, it's really hard to make the other stuff work. Couldn't agree more. Love that advice and, and echo it. Well, thank you for being on the show today and thank you for telling the, your creation story at Spiralize. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.